0: You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app. Hello and welcome to the Marketing Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Berberich. Today, we're bringing you a very special episode recorded on the ground at the 2023 ANA Masters of Marketing Conference in Orlando, Florida. My guest, Alan Schulman, co-founder and chief experience officer at Upper Right. At Masters, Alan laid out the impacts and future of generative AI to the marketers in attendance, and today he's going to unpack that presentation with us. As we stand at the crossroads of creativity and technology, Alan and I discuss the plumbing and the poetry behind truly great creative marketing. All right, everybody, we are here on site at the Masters of Marketing 2023 in Orlando, Florida. And it is my pleasure to have Alan Shulman, co-founder and chief Experience officer of Upper Right on the podcast. Alan, thank you so, so much for being generous with your time today.
1: Thank you, Mike. It's a true privilege to be back at the Masters of Marketing and uh, speaking here again this year.
0: Well, I, yeah, and we're going to dive into, uh, the subject that you will be broaching in just a few days here. But let's start with kind of how your experience, especially in the, the realm of creative content marketing and customer experience. And if you want to unpack that a little bit, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it. How that experience has helped you understand how to effectively deploy AI in the marketing function.
1: It's a great question and thanks for asking it and uh, truly feel privileged to be the creative uh, sort of leader down here being asked to comment about the application of AI to content and creative and storytelling in general, I think um, it's going to be huge for brands. I think, uh, you know, to answer your question directly, I think, you know, when you think about brands themselves, the, you know, the, the aphorism, the brand is the experience. And these days, the experience is the brand. I wish I could poll everybody here at Masters and say, what percentage of your customer experiences is digital mm. and what is actually physical and in-person? And I bet you'd probably see more than 50% of those experiences are now digital. Absolutely. Which really means if you're a brand, that puts a huge onus on your digital experiences, be they in your hand, be they on a desktop, be they on a tablet be they in any physical environment, um, it puts a huge onus on those digital experiences to deliver what it is that your brand ethos is about and what it stands for. And that's very hard to do and unpack in a text. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do in a mobile app. It's yeah. very, very hard to sort of transfer all the heft of what a brand does, let's say in television and that kind of storytelling in digital experiences delivering utility. So for me, the sort of the the move from being a brand storyteller to being a a digital storyteller to now focusing in on customer experience it's been just sort of a natural evolution and i think we saw during covid right everybody everybody sort of was forced into this digital interactions
0: with almost everything Mm -hmm. everybody's five-year plan got thrown through a three-week window (laughs) this Um, is true yeah so and yeah and i love it and i think that I don't want to try and, and predict the future, but I feel like it's going to come around that the foundation of marketing, the fundamentals really don't change. It's how these new channels and lenses, how we kind of apply what we already know and what we should be sticking to. But, you know, we'll we'll, we'll get there, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, I, my one of my partners always says, you know, the advertising industry was built on the ecosystem of the broadcast networks. Mm -hmm. Then digital advertising was built on the back of a search engine called Google. And now we're in an era where brands are being built on the back of social influence. And in many cases, you know, different types of formats and storytelling experiences that have just sort of gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and shorter. And, you know, that's been the challenge for us as content and creative people is, you know, we're not just Producing long form stories. We've got to do things in seven seconds that, you know, or less that have an impact on consumers. And that's, that's a true challenge.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was about to say you're lucky if you get seven. <laughs> that's um, right. I hear three seconds all the time nowadays.
1: Yeah. I mean, my kids, you know, are, you know, doing this. And, uh, you know, as a, as a creative and a content person, you really have to study each platform individually. You know, you can't just walk your way into TikTok because you've been creating for Instagram mm-hmm. and think you're going to ace that channel. You're not. Thousand percent. You, you really have to dive in. And, and that certainly isn't me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, you know, younger people who are learning to storytell in that particular format.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and so the latest development and challenge to that creative content process What you are here at the Masters of Marketing to illuminate to our attendees is generative AI. It is the conversation that's happening in the industry. And a lot of marketers are uneasy about AI coming into the creative role. I feel like with data analytics, that makes sense. Robot crunch numbers, yes, please let it. But coming into the creative space, uh, there is a bit of unease. And what would you say to those marketers who are a little uncertain about this?
1: I think it's natural to be uncertain. I think it's also the art of the possible.
0: Mm. So I
1: think that, you know... As people who you know both manage risk if we're the caretakers of brands, but we're also the innovators So we have to do both at the same time And so to those who I would say a a modicum of risk is associated That's not what I'm here to talk about I'm here to talk about the art of the possible Mm. and I think that the art of the possible is very very exciting It is early days though and early days means what in large language models that we're experiencing right now and image generation we're seeing just massive amounts of content that can be created very, very quickly. So my advice to those marketers is, you know, don't just stick your big toe in. Find the people within your content teams and your organizations that get excited about the new. Mm -hmm. It may still be in the hype cycle, and we know it's in the hype cycle, but there are some very real applications out there right now that are being adopted at scale, such as Adobe's Firefly and other things that I'll be pr- talking about in my, uh, in my presentation. But I think it's important that you have some members of your team who are just going and playing with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're going and they're experimenting and they're not, you know, they're not necessarily publishing on behalf of the brand yet, but you know, go see what's possible. I think that you always want to know, people call it a side hustle these days. We used to say, you know, um, we'd look around the creative teams and see, you know, what are they doing when they're not working on client work? They're learning another skill or they're learning mm-hmm. 3D or they're learning After Effects or they're learning some other pr- type of program. I think this is that time and that opportunity for people to vector off and try some of this stuff. Yeah. And so balance the risk with those early adopters who are going to go try stuff.
0: I love that. I love that. And I think leadership takes trust. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And if you're not going to do it or if you're going to do it inauthentically, let the people who are doing it at home, let them bring that into the office. Let them go try it. I love that. I Your job
1: that. as a creative leader is to inspire, but it's also to create an environment for people to innovate. Let's face yes. it. Right? Yes. So you got to create that environment where they feel like they have the permission to go try that stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think, look, I I think we all know that at least what what I'm going to be talking about and what what I'm excited about sharing here at Masters is this is a time where, you know, jump-starting the creative process is uh, sometimes amidst all the other things that we're doing, whether it's in a big agency or a big content studio within a brand marketer's operation. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always a million things to do. And we know that these days feeding the content beast is an everyday job it just you know content becomes perishable it's it's like my kids say oh dad that's so five minutes ago right (laughs) so so because content becomes perishable so quickly we've got to make more you've got to make more every day it's almost a daily thing and then if you're in that mindset already what's great about some of these tools is they jump start and accelerate that process. I always tell people that, you know, there's really four things that this stuff is gonna do. First of all, it's way more expansive at jump-starting ideas. Mm -hmm. So whether you're naming a campaign, naming a product, coming up with names of anything, it's gonna generate 150 names. Now, what percent of those 150 names will be good? Probably not very many of them, Mm -hmm. but that's where, as craftspeople, whether you're a copywriter or a designer or a coder, you have the base of the craft skill to be able to go in and say, okay, 95% of these are garbage, but these five, there may be some things that we can vector off here. And I think as a tool to be more expansive, that's number one. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say is it is to drive more iterations of things. Um, particularly in visuals, whether that's still or moving images, it's gonna—it's just gonna present so many more options for people. So that's the second. So it's more expansive. It's faster at generating iterations. It's gonna be, and, and you know, I think that this third thing, you know, you sort of have the automation and you have the iteration. It's gonna mm-hmm. accelerate both of those things and jumpstart creativity. So that, you know, both of those things I think are going to happen. And then lastly, the thing that everybody's talking about is it's going to optimize what we create faster and in near real time. Now, I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. So the skeptic in me says optimization is great if, you know, in the old days we did A-B testing or we did what we called multivariate testing of different headlines or different copy. I think this is going to give us the opportunity to rapidly test things much faster. What I fear is that we'll dissect every component of an ad, be it a teleconvision commercial, be it a, a, a display a digital display ad, be it a search ad, be it a you know a TikTok post. We'll dissect every single component of this into its piece parts and try to optimize every piece part. And advertising doesn't work that way. Michael. No. No.
0: It works as a whole, right? Yeah. It's that's, a concept. <laughs> exactly. Like emotion doesn't break down to a pixel level. That's right. You know? Um, and that's, that's actually, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's kind of a tendency of like, if we get something and it can do this, <laughs> we're going to make it do it and not really wonder whether we should. Be making it, doing right. it. Just because
1: we can doesn't mean we should.
0: Exactly. Any Jurassic Park fan would uh, would know exactly where we're coming from right now.
1: Well, we got in trouble with digital with that because we said, well, now that everything's zeros and ones, we can measure everything. So we will measure everything. Mm-hmm. You no, know, television was never trying to be precisely right. It knew it was wasting a lot of money hitting people with ads that weren't Intended for them. Mm-hmm. It was never trying to be precisely right. It was just less wrong. Yeah. And I, and I, I owe that quote to Rory Sutherland, who's, uh, you know, I consider myself a mentor of at Ogilvy, who talks about this all the time. It's one of those things that if you have a correlation between when you advertise on television and your sales at retail, and there's a mm-hmm. correlation there and you don't know precise, you know, if you turn on television, your sales go up. You know, you know, there's a correlation. Right. You just don't know precisely what that correlation is. And I think where we got in trouble with digital is we started to think that we could predict down to the very attribute, down to the very sale where it was coming from. And I think that's what, that's what a lot of the reliance on pure data got us into a hole with.
0: The Certified ANA Marketing Professional, or CAMP, program is a rigorous 35-hour online certification program developed specifically with the ANA marketer in mind. Covering the entire marketing process, from brand strategy and activation to marketing implementation across digital and analytic platforms, CAMP represents the full spectrum of the marketing universe. To begin your certification, go to ANA.net slash CAMP future. So, and that's a great cautionary tale, you know, thinking back of how we managed or mismanaged these tech booms in digital, social, yes. mobile, hopefully will make us a little bit wiser when, as AI uh, continues to proliferate yeah. throughout the marketing process. I,
1: I, I, I always say algorithms don't feel, people mm-hmm, feel. Mm-hmm. Um, algorithms might learn to feel eventually, but for right now, in where we are with these tools right now, and what I, you know, I think there have been some very interesting uh, executions which i'll share when i present here at masters but so far i think what we're seeing is you know from an imagery standpoint some real incredible capabilities um and we've seen advertisers like everybody from sort of from coke to nestle to others using using the image generating capacity of this to enhance what they're doing Mm -hmm. with their storytelling early days though early days and I think, like I said before, as long as you've got people on your team experimenting now in these early days, as we're trying to figure out, like, what are the boundaries we're going to put around this stuff? How yeah. are we going to, to use Microsoft's term, how are we going to pilot it so it can co-pilot what we do? And, mm-hmm. you know, I know that's what they're, they're calling it, but I do think it is that relationship. I think we as craftspeople, uh, as storytellers are still in the driver's seat for now.
0: Yes. Yes. And, um, and I think, you make a very good point that you're seeing it in larger companies and your the c- capabilities are already pretty impressive. We are at a very nascent stage in AI development. So if we could put our fortune teller caps on for just a moment, we won't hold you to this, but how do you see AI's role in marketing evolving over the next five years?
1: I think AI is going to be a tremendous expander, accelerator, Automator and optimizer. Those four things is what I think it's going to do. And I think it'll do it at every point, not just in the creative and content development process, but all the way through what they now call the content supply chain, which is basically from insights that inform ideas, they're going to be deeper insights to the initiation of a campaign intake and initiation of a, of a brief and all that. That's going to, that's going to get accelerated to the actual ideation creation and production that's going to be automated and accelerated at a great degree Mm -hmm. and then optimize once it's in market and served up to be able to optimize it hopefully at not too granular a level as we just spoke right right and then you know sort of rinse and repeat right so I think that cycle that content supply chain is all going to be affected in the next three years and I don't consider myself a futurist Michael I'm not A crystal ball kind of person. There are other people in the industry like Rashad and others who do a great job of that. That's not me. I I think more about the the brand and the story Mm -hmm. and the storytelling aspect of it. I think it's going to jumpstart ideas. It's going to give us lots more choices. I think like any other creative tool that gets democratized though, a lot of generative AI tools are going to produce, at least in the early days, a lot of what it's going to produce probably won't be that good. No. Yeah. But I think we, as the craftspeople in the industry, have to have to see. You know, what is that small percentage of it that might have potential? We'll probably pitch most of it out. But for the time being, we're sort of the pilot in that role. I think eventually, three to five years from now, what they're saying is it will learn. It'll get more sophisticated. It will be able to get emotional, more emotional, because. If algorithms can feel, then maybe we will see much more human-like storytelling coming out of it. Mm. What I've seen for now, it can sort of imitate. I, it's funny Yes, yes. I asked it to write a script in the, in the style of Hal Reine, who for those mm. who are as old as I am in the business know Hal Reine was a famous copywriter who mm-hmm. had an agency named after him for many years, who had a very poetic style of writing um, in his day. And I think that it does little things to mimic the styles of authors and copywriters and can do that. But I think for the moment, for the time being right now, it's still mimicry.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I, I have a lot of conversations with folks who are like, is this going to start stealing jobs? I'm like, no time soon is it going to. It's like anybody who's worried about 2023 AI taking their jobs has not used AI yet they have not gone on a chatbot. I mean, I could see in the long term there are a lot of low-hanging fruit capabilities that AI may one day completely take over. Uh, but to your point, it's really not ready to take the driver's seat in any capacity. Yeah, and
1: I think we have to be careful that we don't let the plumbing get out in front of the poetry. Yeah, and, you Ooh, know, cuz well you know when the when the plumbing leads the poetry, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we have always been the part of the enterprise, the business growth engine that has been, a, been able to take the intangible and turn it into something very powerful to command a margin, a profit margin. Mm-hmm. You know, the only difference between these two sneakers is one has a swoosh on it and the other one does it. Why does the one with the swoosh command a 40% premium in the marketplace?
0: Yeah. Well,
1: it does because there's a story and an ethos behind that. That people in our industry created for it, in mm-hmm. this case, Wyden and Kennedy, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think that I think that that's something that we continue to be the stewards of, and we should be proud to be the stewards of. And if we let the marketing automation and the plumbing and the operating system become the hero, and the fact that it's powered by AI is great, mm-hmm. but if we let that become the thing then that's a lazy way out. Yes. And let's face it, there's a lot of CFOs out there that are looking at these tools going, how much can you save me in my content operations? Mm-hmm. How, what's, what, how much headcount can you save me? How much faster will this produce our social media posts or whatever it is they want to apply to? Because they they frankly look at it as an automation tool,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not is it going to really be as good? So right. I think that that's what we have to you know, be cautionary about um, and that's probably more where the consultant side of me versus the creative side of me comes out and would caution CFOs and COOs that this is not an efficiency play yet. No. It is not ready to be an efficiency play yet. No. Eventually, it might be particularly in things like production, mm-hmm. where, yeah. you know, things with low variance, that can be automated should be automated because nobody wants to spend time tagging. Yes. Nobody wants to spend time making tags for local markets or things of that nature because that's the part of the business that should be automated because it can be. Mm-hmm. But the actual fundamental uh, creative storytelling piece and the brand personality and purpose piece, that's something that I think we still need to be very careful that we remain a hold of.
0: I, I love that and I couldn't agree more. And I don't think there's a marketer on this planet that doesn't have a list of things they'd love to do if they didn't have to tag every local market <laughs> in every region so the idea that, that they're not going to they're going to run out of things to do I think is just absolutely absurd
1: and I, I'm frankly a fan of localism I think I think that local is great and oh, yeah. I think that you know we've seen enough content produced in local markets about local markets with local teams local fan cultures, I think local is is a great thing, Mm -hmm. and uh, national brands can make local impact using these tools in a way that, you know, if they just put them to work smartly, you can really start to get local with things. And I think we saw some, you know, some things today that started to do that, and I was mightily impressed that people are starting to think that way.
0: Yeah, a thousand percent. And I love that That's because that's not something that we talk a lot about in what AI might be capable of. Right. But yeah, localizing your brand and making that relevant and doing so much of the prep work and the grunt work to allow that ephemeral, intangible thing to be laid on top of it. Um, yeah, I just love that. Idea. Yeah, I mean,
1: look, today, and this gets sort of back to the first question you asked me, which is you know the application of ai tools mm-hmm. in an era when we have to create content at the speed of culture yeah. and conversation yes if a trending conversation comes out and your brand's you know fundamental purpose and or brand footprint overlaps with that story then you're going to you're going to dive on that story and you're hopefully you're going to be able to act quickly enough and create content enough to participate in the long tail yes. of that story. And I think that that's what I mean by when I say creating content at the speed of culture and conversation, these tools are going to enable us to do that faster. Now, whether or not the lawyers let us get it out there in time remains to be seen. But I mm-hmm. think that we'll eventually get to a point where we'll put the guardrails around it no, so that we can react in near real time and we can create content at the speed of culture, like everybody uses the famous dunk in the dark.
0: Oh my goodness. Example, yes. right? Like yes. that seems, I haven't heard that for years. That, that, that's you the example
1: everybody uses when they, they sort of, you know,
0: 100%. sort of
1: content at the speed of culture and conversation, right? Yeah. And so, and I think that's, that's what we as creatives need to do now mm-hmm. is be thinking that way because if brands are built on the back of social influence, it isn't about who we hire as influencers. It's about, are we in the conversation?
0: So, as I've said a couple of times, we are here, sunny Orlando, Florida, and you are going to be talking to the attendees of Masters of Marketing about the kind of crossroads of creativity and technology. What is the one, I'm putting my Bob Liadis hat on right right now, what is the one key takeaway that you hope to leave attendees with here at Masters?
1: Don't put the plumbing ahead of the poetry. This is still a storytelling challenge for us these tools are very very exciting and you should by all means have people on your teams experimenting with them not ready to publish yet but but be experimenting with them but you know the the plumbing itself the platforms themselves the automation itself is all very seductive mm-hmm. at the moment but cooler heads must prevail for reasons both of risk and we need to see if this stuff is any good yep right we need to see if it is. and so what i hope to share here are examples of what good looks like so far, because there are some examples of what good looks like so far. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're just starting to test out the, like any, with anything new, test out the novelty of it. Like whether it's, you know, Firefly or Dolly or some of these other things Mm -hmm. and, and check out what they can do. And I think that's what we're seeing brand marketers do. Look, let's face it. People are always looking to differentiate when it comes to the vernacular of storytelling for brands. And this, you know, gives us a new tool set Mm -hmm. to hopefully differentiate from our competition with. Yeah. So people are going to try it Mm -hmm. and, and they're, and they're going to, and hopefully push it. And, and we're going to see some innovative things come out the other end. Some will be good. Some will not be so good. But, you know, we have to be, we have to be wise enough as stewards of brands to know when to actually press the publish.
0: Yes. So well said. And I do love that. <laughs> Putting the plumbing uh, ahead of the poetry is just a death knell for good marketing. I, I love it. So I'm, I'm glad we got to come back and kind of reiterate that one more time. Yeah, I
1: you know. I, you know I, I think in terms of I, I, I'm a copywriter by craft, but I'm also a jazz musician. Hey, I, 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 love I, that. Uh, I've, I have a, a master's degree in jazz. So I've been a guitarist for over 35 years. And so I've sort of spent my career writing ads by day and playing jazz by night, and so my my uh, you know the, the sort of the principles of jazz and improvising
0: I was and creating say, yeah. on
1: demand mm-hmm. are not that different from what we do as writers in, in in the marketing side, which is sort of you know see an opportunity, create, try to create something new spontaneously, and sometimes that has to be on demand,
0: mm-hmm. and it,
1: um, it's not easy. It's not you don't succeed every time.
0: Right, but. I mean, that's the creation. It's jazz, baby. That's, yeah. (laughs) Or as people
1: say, it's close enough for jazz, right? Yes, yes, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to pivot a little bit and ask some questions that we ask all of our guests here at the Marketing Futures Podcast. Okay. The first one's open by design. What are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion?
1: Oh, extremely, extremely timely and important. I myself am a graduate of... Howard University. I have a master's degree Amazing. from Howard University. I have been in a position of putting myself in a position of being a minority. In that case, uh, I can honestly say there is nothing temporary or of the moment about It It is something we absolutely have to systematically do. Otherwise, you know, we're standing back here like culture vultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, to use it, to use sort of a cultural aphor- aphorism. You know, culture is made up of the people that are out there. And if we don't represent the people, then who are we? You know, Mm -hmm. are, are we sitting back here, you know, trying to pretend? And that's why we need to very much work towards having not just the right employment representation, but in the work that we create must reflect the culture that we live in. And that, and that. that isn't a matter of, you know, having a specialist in my view, a multicultural agency. It, it, there should it, it, we should just be. We need to get past that whole segmentation of audience in that way, and just and just create for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's why DEI is so important. Not just from an employment and a and a, and a work culture, which is where it starts, yep. but also in the work that we produce, we need to reflect it. And I think that that's and not gratuitously. Mm-hmm. Um, and even my own company, I, there's more that we need to do. Just yeah. to to do to do to reflect that um, in, in, at Upper Right. So you know it's it's all it's all a work in progress, but we've got to get there. And so I'm a hundred percent committed to it. And I, and I think I've lived it to an extent. And so I think that it, it is extremely important, certainly in the jazz world. Uh, you know, musicians don't. You know, De and I is sort of built into. Oh, absolutely. Y- y- you know, yeah. it's 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 basically your rite of passage as a jazz musician is can you play not what you look like or where you're from or any of that it's really about the language of music and it's kind of the great unifier and uh, and something i'm very grateful to have in my life as a great equalizer
0: i just absolutely love that i don't talk about this much on the podcast but it kind of bears mentioning, I'm a rapper. It oh, started, you are? Yes, when I was 10 years old. Wow. So I know very much of that in the music spectrum. Right. It's like, all right, spit something. Right. And that's it. It's like, can you or can you not do the thing you just said you can do? Right. Right. Um,
1: so what was it for you that, that 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 like was it Eminem? Who like who lit the match? The notorious BIG the only notorious BIG I was
0: going from eighth grade to ninth grade right. and I had always just been listening to oldies music and I figured I'm going into high school I should at least hear something on the radio. Right, right. Turned it on, and one of the first songs I heard was right. Mo Money Mo Problems yep. by Notorious B.I.G. Changed my entire yep. life in three minutes. Yep. Uh, so that's just so cool, and I just because I I feel that, and well, I relate to that. Well, that's true, very, and very and you much. know
1: we talk about spontaneous musical you know ideas in jazz. I mean, you know, in in, in a rap battle, I mean that that Ooh, is that, yes. that is sort of the penultimate. You know, you talk about creativity on demand. That's that's equally a, a difficult you know challenge, if not more so.
0: Mm-hmm. Well. Hat tip to you, my friend. I knew this was going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to go in this direction. And I love That's it. That's all right. So let's keep it on music. And okay. I'm very, very interested to hear this next question. We ask everybody this question. Alan, what is your favorite album of all time and why?
1: Oh my gosh, you're asking a musician what his favorite album of all time is. I had to do it to you. I had to do it to you. It's very, very hard to pick one. If I had to pick one, I'll give you two answers. So hopefully two will suffice. One is a a guitar record because I'm a jazz guitarist, so I probably have a favorite jazz guitar record of all time given that I've been a jazz guitarist for almost 40 years. But I would say uh, just record of all time. Yep going to be Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon. Oh yeah. Uh it's probably a- as a, a you know was life changing for me in mm-hmm. high school when it came out and mm-hmm. I just remember being, you know, I heard the Beatles for the first time and it was and my head was, you know, as a little kid turned around at 6 years old when I heard please please me mm-hmm. uh and meet the Beatles, but it, 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 if it's something about Dark Side of the Moon was very transcendental yeah. for me oh, my and God. uh and I think uh I would say as LPs go my favorite one in the in sort of me as me the musician Alan the musician I would say West Montgomery smoking at the half note uh, as a jazz guitar player probably the penultimate record for me
0: that's that is amazing and yeah Dark Side of the Moon it's such a singular sound it is very hard to liken that to anything else um, there are
1: things I could pick that would be in the you know top ten that would be the either side of it. But if you had to, if I had to pick one. That would be the one.
0: Phenomenal, phenomenal. I love it. So to wrap things up, let's bring things to the present. Is there something you're listening to now? Be it an artist, a song, a podcast, a book. What's getting you excited today?
1: What's getting me excited today? Um, so I am li- currently listening. To um, a record called Beyond the Missouri Sky, mm. which is uh, a record recorded by Pat Metheny and Charlie Hayden, which really? is a guitar and acoustic bass. They're really sort of short stories um, in musical sh- musical short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, two guys from the Midwest who decided to come together and make a record. Uh, it's a very, what I would call Americana sounding record. No lyric. It's not. You know, but it has a lot of folk, folk folk-ish sort of melodies in it. It's very sparse, but that's what I've been listening to lately that is really just, you know, it's a, it's a very American kind of record and, and very, and very authentic and sort of, um, and raw. So, so that's what I've been listening to. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of things that I've been reading, I'm reading a fascinating book called The Master and the Emissary by Ian McGilchrist. Um, and it, it really deals with, the two sides of your brain, mm. left brain, right brain. Really, one's the master, one's the emissary. What Ian McGilchrist has done—he's a neurobiologist, and I believe partly psychologist. I don't want to get this wrong, right? Because he—he's got many degrees, and he's a noted scholar. Many uh, Lives on letters. a small island out off the Scottish Isles. Okay. Um, a fascinating book about how our our hemispheres of our brain are not. Uh, they might be equal in, uh, uh, in some ways, but they're, they're actually not. Mm. And one rules the other. Some people say, you know, we have our frontal lobe, which is our rational, and then we have our lizard brain, right? Right, right, right. This is a, a sort of akin to that. The fascinating part of the book is that it talks about how our human, emotional, feeling, creative side of the brain is, is the one that is being slowly taken over by the more process, sort of rigid you know mm-hmm. it's sort of one's a systems thinker and one's the poet it's right it, it's sort of like back to my analogy of the plumber and the poet it's sort of one's very systematic and the other's very emotional and it, the book deals with those two sides and it's just a fascinating read
0: I've, it's already up. I've, I'm, check it ordering. out. Check I've him out on
1: the interview. There's an interview with him on YouTube. You can check it out. He's, it's fascinating that um, sounds to, absolutely to hear him. It's a fascinating
0: book. The Master and the Emissary. Thank you so much. Those are two fantastic recommendations. <laughs> Alan, this has been a phenomenal conversation. We're going to have to get you back here uh, sooner than later. I'd love to do it. I'm,
1: I'm just so, I feel so honored that the ANA asked me. Of all creative people it could have asked, Uh, because uh, I'm no longer on the agency side but you know what I would say is it's just a true honor to be back here being asked to talk about creative and content in the context of some of these new tools I think it's a very very interesting time they're gonna do some amazing things but it's early days
0: well absolutely I honestly couldn't think of anybody better to bring this message to our marketing community listeners hold on to your poetry (laughs) Alan thank you so much for being a guest on the Marketing Futures Podcast.
1: My pleasure, Michael. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Marketing Futures Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us in two weeks when my guest will be Chris Stoffer, founder and CEO of the Stoffer Agency. The ANA Marketing Futures Podcast airs Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. Have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the pod? Shoot us a note at at ANA.net. And as always, gear up for the future of marketing at ana.net slash futures. This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.